Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. I am obviously not at home, not in the studio. I'm in a motel room, a hotel room. What is the difference? I'm in a hotel room. It's 10 to 12 at night. I'm in Bend, Oregon, sitting with a half a loaf of bread. Some guy threw a loaf of bread on stage. What was it? A couple of weeks ago, someone threw some homemade candy pecans. But this guy at least waited till I was walking off. And all of a sudden, like a football, this fresh loaf of bread comes flying onto the stage here in Bend from the Rise Up Bakery. And I'm starving. I'm fucking starving. I just did like an hour and a half. I was only supposed to do an hour so I can tighten it up for HBO. That's not happening. I had... Uh, a woman come down from um, Portland to open. She was very funny. Tori Ward. And I've been out here on the road for what seems like a long time. And I, it was wild. It, it's been a wild few days. Well, let me not get too lost here. Uh, today on the show, Robert Siegel is on. He was the He is the former editor-in-chief of The Onion. He wrote the movies The Wrestler and The Founder. He wrote and directed Big Fan with Patton Oswalt, and he was the writer and creator of the miniseries Pam and Tommy. He's got a new miniseries called Welcome to Chippendales with Kumail Nanjiani, and it's very good. Kumail's very good in it. Everybody's very good lately. Am I getting old? Am I letting go of things? He was good. They, they hid his massive, muscular frame pretty well because we all know that underneath that Kumail is ripped for his Marvel thing but uh, but no in this one he's not supposed to be ripped and they they uh, they hit it well with clothing from the 80s but it was interesting talking to Robert because he was he, you know he was kind of around in New York when I was there and the onion was very important he was there when it moved to New York so all in all a very good conversation also there are a few tickets left for the second show of my HBO special taping at Town Hall in New York City. That's the 930 show. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour for tickets or go to thetownhall.org. Oh, my God, you guys. I'm fucking wiped. I did these shows 
in Oregon. I added a bunch of shows in order to continue preparing for the hour, which got moved up. So I needed to fill it in. So I booked shows in Eugene and Bend. I had booked a show, I believe, in Eugene a few years ago, but it just wasn't selling tickets. So I bailed. I don't think it was Bend, but these both sold out. And they were both pretty solid shows. There was definitely some issues in Bend, a little, some, you know, poppy mic issues and a kind of a, you know, there was some talky audience members, kind of dickish, but it it was all good. But I'm just like, now I'm going to drive back to Portland three hours to take a plane from Portland to Burbank. This is how fucking, this is how much I don't want to deal with LAX. I flew up here, I flew to Portland, and I could have flown into Eugene from LAX. I could have flown out of Bend to LAX, small planes. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to fly into Portland from Burbank, rent a car, stay the night, drive casually down to Eugene, and then casually over to Bend, and then a little panicky to Portland the next day, only so I can fly into Burbank. I'm flying back from Portland with a stopover unheard of just to go to Burbank that's how much I don't want to deal with LAX Burbank's like 15 minutes from my house but anyway none of this matters if you don't give a shit about this stuff I'm all right I've been eating really badly and uh, I talked to a, a fan tonight who is a doctor who uh has some company that she she's basically dealing with um wellness around blood sugar and I've got a fucking I got to change my life, man. I've been on the road too long. I've drifted. I'm still exercising. Fine. I still, I don't, I'm just not eating well. But it's just the nature of it. I'm tired, you guys. It's fucking midnight after a show and after I stuff my face with wings and a baked potato and some chocolate pretzel peanut butter things. That's where I'm at. That's the party I'm at. Late night, in the room, candy talking to you there's part of me that thinks i need to keep it down because of uh, the other room it's late so i flew into portland and this is the weird thing like i get there and the hotel's pretty good but i find out because of twitter that michael ian black we were going back and forth and he was in portland and i wasn't working so i got to portland i went over and saw mike over at chip john got suited up because i brought the wrong jacket i have a nice warm filson jacket i'm like but kind of well cool brought the overcoat chilly but i went to i went over to mike's and uh, i bought i got some pants i got a shirt and then uh, my gloves are all fucked up so i had to go back the next day and buy gloves but um michael liam black was playing at helium and i haven't seen him i haven't seen him do stand-up probably since the mid 90s i don't think i've seen him in person in decades and him and I have this weird, contentious Twitter thing that's kind of snarky and funny, and I always seem to lose. But uh, but I hadn't seen him, so I, I said, look, I'm in town. I'm just hanging out. Maybe I'll come by. And he's like, come by. I'll, you can come on stage. I'm like, what? But I go over to Helium, and it was just like, you know, Michael and I have a past in the, in the sense that, like, you know, I was a dick. And, you know, but we're both older and I watched him do his standup and it's very tight and it's very um, uh, specific and personal and funny. And I told him, I said before the show, don't, you know, don't bring me on stage. Don't disrupt the flow. I mean, if you're doing well, we don't need to fuck off. But he brought me out in the middle and we just kind of went back and forth. He asked me some questions. We got some laughs. And then I, 
I got off and he just went back into his acting. But it was, it was good to see him. I'm at that age where, you know, it's just good to see people are still alive. And he reminded me of David Cross, so I texted David Cross. I don't know. Just getting old, I guess. I went to the heart doctor last week because I just felt like I should go to the heart doctor because I was talking to people my age who, uh, you know, were having clogged arteries. And I'd just been to the heart doctor, so I went back and I said, look, man, are you sure that I don't need to get an angiogram? He's like, what? And I'm like, I'm just like, you know, I'm just talking to these guys and they, you know, they got their arteries clogged. He's like, yeah, but we did all these tests. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know, man. Can I just get a preventative one? And he was like, you don't have to. Let's just do this test. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll come back for that one. That'll make me feel better. So here's the other thing, though. One of the reasons why I flew to Portland is I just wanted to feel the Pacific Northwest. And I'd never driven to Eugene. That drive was okay. It was a little bright. Not that interesting. But let me tell you, man, the drive from Eugene to Bend, stunning. And it just reminded me about what I loved about the Pacific Northwest. I used to think about it constantly. I was talking about the Pacific Northwest constantly. I really wanted to be up around Seattle or up even further uh, north. I still want to be up in Canada and Vancouver, but there's something about the landscape here that really is overwhelmingly beautiful to me. And driving from Eugene to Bend was just, it just reminded me, it got me into that zone of, of just, you know, that spectacular pine forest, the big sort of, you know, heavy feeling mountains. There's all this lava stone everywhere. It was just, it was fucking great. I ate good food in Eugene. I went to a seafood place. It just, they just boil crabs there. I don't know what I can tell you other than, um, I'm tired and, uh, <laughs> I got to shoot this special cause I, I need a break. My body needs a break, but that aside, locking into the landscape up here and being able to lose myself in it was fucking great. And as I said before, the show in Eugene was nice. It was good. It was funny. The show in Bend was great. You know, sound problems aside. And now, like, I don't know. I'm just left to my own thoughts here in the hotel room. I couldn't live in this place. These are like these small kind of ski townish kind of places. I need to get home. I'm going to cook for Thanksgiving. What are you guys doing? What's going on? I'm going over to uh, Gimme Gimme Dan's house. I think I'm going to smoke a brisket. I'm going to uh, make a chess pie. And I'm going to cook some stuffing. What are you guys going to do? You're going to cook? It'll be fun to cook. So look, Robert Siegel. Didn't know what to expect. Had a very pleasant conversation with him. Uh, welcome to Chippendales premieres tomorrow, November 22nd on Hulu with new episodes Tuesdays. And uh, this is me talking to him back in the garage. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare 
important to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you live here? No, I live in New York. You still live in New York? Yeah. Huh. Always. I've never lived here. Ever. Never. You're just out here doing promotion, publicity, the yeah. junket thing for the uh, for the uh, Welcome to Chippendales. Correct. Trying to get yeah. some people to watch the show. What are you and doing for a, that? And there's a premiere tonight. Oh, there is? Yeah. Have we started? Do we just slide into it? Is it? Yeah. Have you, yeah. Are you familiar with the show? That's how it works. <laughs> We're doing it. I am You're, familiar. It, it, I am familiar with the it's show. It's happening. It's I've already seen, happening. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, it was happening in your car. I have this new technology. Oh, my God. Yeah. On the way over when you were on the phone. I got it all. Oh, shit. You, yeah. caught, you caught me berating my assistant. <laughs> so you live in the yeah. city? Uh, I do. I live in uh, what's now called Nomad, uh-huh. which is 30. <laughs> they're trying to raise the rents and get the poor people put out. It, so they put they, a name. They rebranded it Nomad, which yeah. is north of, great name, north of Madison, um, which. North Ma- of Madison? Doesn't Madison run? Exactly. Makes no sense. It's uh, Madison Square Park. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and oh, you stayed in New York. So I'm on 30. Yeah. I'm like near, near, um, in your Koreatown, yeah. where that is? You weathered COVID through this in New York. The terrifying I did. I, bodies in the streets, COVID. In an apartment with no yeah, no outdoor space. Or yeah. We made we made um frequent use of Central Park. Yeah. My son's a fisherman. Uh-huh. So we would it was kind of great. It was a fisherman like, professional, like on the boats out of Queens. Wants, wants to be kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, uh he just he's just obsessed with fishing. It's the only thing he's interested in. So we go to Central Park. We spent the it was kind of nice cuz the city was empty. Yeah. Hold on. I it's really like have, that, to, I have to I have to appreciate the fact that as opposed to say my son likes to fish, he said my son's a fisherman. <laughs> No, it. it's what he would put on. If he paid taxes, that would be on his tax form. He's, he's so. A, how old is he? Uh, he's 14 now. He's a fisherman. I like yeah, it. Yeah, he's a fisherman. Okay. There, there's no other, he has no other defining traits. Huh. So I can, I have to call him that. How, how Anyone often? who's met him would not dispute that. Yeah, how often does he fish? Every day. It's like heroin. Like he needs a fix. Wow. Yeah. My, will, my brother's get, got a kid. He gets antsy and itchy and. Huh. My brother has a kid that, that's that. He's a fisherman. Um, He's a fisherman kid. Needs to fish every day or play with reptiles. Yeah, yeah, we have reptiles. Yeah, we have. I think. <laughs> oh it's my an, god, it's an adjacent. Does he, yeah, does he it's have probably lot, diagnosable? Does he have a lot of friends? Yeah, yeah, all fisher the fisherman community. There's like a uh, inter uh, on Instagram. Uh huh. Yeah. Does he deal with with grown up fishermen? Like, is, is yeah, he, yeah, he, he yeah. Aspires we put him, to- Yeah, we're bad parents. We put him on boats with like fifty five year old men, sort of salty. <laughs> types that we just kind of rolled the dice yeah. on and um and he's having the time of his life oh he loves it yeah he goes to school on governor's island which is uh, oh a, yeah do you know governor's island i do there's, a, there's I like do. a fishing themed school there really called harbor school it's not really fishing themed. it's governor's it's island that's not that's not roosevelt island it's governor's no. island with a weird creepy abandoned hospital on it yeah there's like oh. um yeah they all have like San- <laughs> abandoned sanitariums on them. Every island in the New, in <laughs> New York. Uh, yeah, it's it's near. It's like the tip yeah. of the island. Yeah. Near, near Battery Park. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so he's going to be. Uh, so he's taking this seriously. I love it. Very seriously. The, the fisherman thing, yeah. and you're behind it, hundred percent. 
it's it's either go with it or fight it. And well, you know, well, you're gonna buy him a boat when he needs a boat. It's extremely wholesome. Yeah. Um, we'll buy him a. Uh, no, he's interested in f- freshwater fishing mostly. Oh. He's not really. He's not like. Um, All right. So this is not a profession. Well, he wants to. He wants to be a sportsman. He wants to go to uh, school on a. He wants to go to a. Uh, get a bass mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. fishing scholarship. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Which apparently they offer in the South. That's a, well. That's exciting. Typical. Yeah. Sure. So, what? Um, like, I haven't. Like, I feel like we met somewhere because we were sort of in similar circles back in the early aughts. Yeah. With comedy. Were you in New York? Yeah. In the. I think I left New York. In, we left after nine eleven. So we left two thousand and two. Okay. And I left with Mishnah. Uh, we we she couldn't handle it and. There anymore after that, and we came out here, but then I was back and forth a bit. But I mean, during that crux, that time when you were at the Onion, which was when I was at the Onion from '94 to 2003. Yeah, so you were around. Yeah, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. Where'd you come from? I grew up on. You mean like originally? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I grew up on Long Island. Really? uh, Yeah, Long Island, kind of Jewish, Jewish suburbs. Cradle, yeah. Like the cradle of comedy. You know, yeah, which like one? Seinfeld. Great Neck or? No, uh, Merrick. Oh, Merrick. Yeah. I knew a guy named Eric from Merrick. Eric from Merrick? Yeah. Oh. So you came up there. Did you, you never tried stand-up or you never, how about I tried you? stand-up once in college. I, I grew up, uh, so I went to University of Michigan. Yeah. Um, on a football scholarship. Is that true? No. <laughs> um, so I went to Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I I, dab- I dabbled in the comedy scene there yeah. a little bit, yeah. um, just because I was interested in my two interests um, were comedy and journalism, yep. which unexpectedly combined later on at the Onion. It worked, yeah, yeah, because I, I didn't know there was such a thing as comedy journalism. Yeah, um, but yeah, in college I I wrote for the school paper at Michigan, and then yeah. I, and then I also dabbled in uh, stand up comedy. I did it twice. Yeah, um, and I think I would have been. I sound like a real asshole for saying this, but I yeah. think I would have been good at it because yeah. I just, I have the genes, like, you know, long, I mean, yeah. I, I come from the same soil as- Yeah. Um, right. Of all the Jews. Of all the, you know, the, Ray Romano, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld, sure. Howard Stern. Yep. I fit the profile. I had, right. the, I had the dad who, you know, I had the difficult father figure. What'd he do? Like for a living? Yeah. He was a school uh, school psychologist. Really? Yeah. How How was it difficult? Uh, I shouldn't have brought that up because then you, I knew you were going to probe that. Uh, uh, well, no, I mean, I, well, I mean, it's he's just, like, he I'm, was a difficult guy, really yeah. a difficult relationship. Yeah. He, he was an unhappy, you know, volatile yeah. temper. Uh-huh. My point, I was only bringing it up to say yeah. that's part of the, the, the magic genome. Rest, that's part of the magic it's one of them. Formula. Dominating have, mother, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a sort of slightly detached father. But I'm curious about psychologists in general. He's not, um, not necessarily a, a poking around at I your think he father went, relationship. He went into psycho- yeah, he went into psychology, I think, because he had, uh, you know, he he had problems. Yeah. And he, he went to psychologists right. when he was young. Yeah. In his, in his old journals, I read yeah. about his oh, attempts really? to kind of figure. It was before. And he really just needed to be on Prozac. And, right. And he would have been fine. But Is this he around? Like, no, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was an older father. He was born in he was born in 1926. Wow. Yeah, so he was like an old dad. So he brought a lot of baggage to the anger. Yeah, no, he had I had a lot of baggage yeah. in the house with me. Um so comedy I, I definitely every, you know, I was sort of born and bred for comedy. Sure. Uh so I did stand-up comedy once at the Union, yeah. at the Michigan Union. Would you and, write jokes? 
Yeah, I wrote some jokes, yeah. and um, and I think I was really good. For, I think I could have been. I don't know. I feel like I could have been in that. Um, I certainly, that. I've certainly have always identified with stand-up comedians. Well, I mean, I think um, that your skill as a joke writer that can carry you a pretty long way, even if you're not inherently comfortable on stage. I loved the on stage. I yeah. loved every everything comedians say they love about yeah. doing stand-up comedy. Just just that that rush you get that. That um, it's like a, you know it's described as a drug. That, yeah. that feeling you get when you're when you get a laugh. Yeah, I mean I've always loved that just in my personal life. Sure, I'm always looking for people to la- make. Yeah. I like to make people laugh. Um, but I just on my first time doing it, I got that feeling. But then I also I think I was lucky to also somehow on some level I didn't really articulate it, but yeah. I recognized that it was going to be. It was a promising debut, but it yeah. was going to be. I, I sensed it was going to be that twenty-year hard life grind. Yeah, um, to get to the top, because you know they it may make, be you make it you maybe make, get to the top, maybe make it, maybe get to the top. But let's let's assume you're optimistic about it. You've got you. You know, I was tw- I was nineteen at the time. Sure, I was going to be staring down twenty years of that. You know, chuckle yeah. that chuckle hut. Maybe yeah, yeah, I mean, but you know, you nobody, don't, you nobody, know. It could you know could have unfolded though is that you did stand up for like five years. Who's the youngest breakout comedian you could name? I mean, Chappelle was probably at sixteen or seventeen, maybe eighteen. I mean, I'm not Chappelle, and, a mil- but that he, was a million 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 years ago. But what I'm what I'm saying is he's that he's just a supernatural talent. The average, I don't know, great like I, who really broke when they were younger. Comedians break in their like forties. No, that's the old model, I guess. But but you could have. Had the exact same life you had. You could have done stand-up for like five years, got the handle of joke writing, and realized there was more money in writing. Yeah, except I wouldn't have imagined that. I'd, I know. You uh, don't know that at the beginning. But no. that could have been how it went. You I just like saw a, a lot of depressing, depressing... It's just the comedy life. Just it just as someone who's prone to yeah. depression. Yeah, I just was like, that's this is not a healthy. This wouldn't be a healthy. <laughs> Who'd you see? Who'd you see? Hold on, I'm gonna move this in a little. Who'd I see? That, that was uh, that led you to believe that this life was horrendous. Did I you mean, did just, you witness it up close? No, like, it's, did you it's have a, friends? No, it's it's so common. It's a cliche. The, I know, but the, I don't know if it's really true. You don't think so? As, as time goes on, I don't. I know. I know more. Sort of relatively uh, stable. I don't know if I'd say stable, but the idea that we're all sad fucks. I, I don't know if that's entirely true. And the sort of Jewish model of you know neurotic depressos. I, I think that sort of passed us by. I mean, it might have been true at some other point in time. Okay. <laughs> the only truly the only person that just straight up cracks me up. That to all appearances yeah. is an incredibly normal, well-adjusted person is, yeah. is Will Ferrell. Th- absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You wait for it to happen. You wait for what? For him to do it. I interviewed him once, and he was just being normal. He was, and I just sat there. I was sort of like, what's he going to do it? When's he, he going to- make you laugh. Because oh. he can do it effortlessly you know, on purpose. He had two loving. Apparently, yeah. I've never read his bio. And no, he's a, a well-adjusted two, guy. He was in a fraternity yeah. at USC. Yeah. Two loving parents. Just a funny motherfucker. Yeah, but no one else. I mean, there are degrees of darkness to the rest of them. But I mean, they're yeah. all. I think they're all. I don't mean to be cliched about it. But they're yeah. all troubled to some degree. Isn't everybody? Yeah. It's like I, I just, like when people hang that on comics. Just, I'm like, there's plenty of you know plumbers with drug problems. Yeah, plenty yeah, of yeah. cops with drug problems. True. Plenty of depressed. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're all just. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, well-adjusted people are far and few, but I, I understand. It just didn't feel like it was going to be a healthy yeah. road for me. <laughs> yeah. I'll just speak to myself. I, I, I'm rather. sorry that I pushed back on that, but like, so, but it's only because I used to believe that. And the more people I talk to, especially people that come out of sketch, yeah. are a little more well-adjusted. Than, than the sort of lone wolf stand-up comedy. See, I would have been a lone wolf. I don't like right. sketch. I yeah. don't like improv. Yeah, yeah. You would you would I, have been a guy. Improv who, irritates me. But you were you like a, a, a loner in as a kid? Yeah, I think so. Just I mean, awkward. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awkward yeah. loner. I mean, people probably didn't. Rem- I just wanted to fly. I wanted to be left alone. Fly you have siblings. Un- fly under the radar and not be noticed. Um, yeah, yeah. I have a sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. She funny. Um. No, I hope it's Debbie. I love you. I think you would agree. I don't think of you as funny. She has a dark. She yeah. appreciates my sense of humor. Sure, because you come from the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what did your mom do? She was also a school psychologist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, was it, but that seems like a proactive liberal upbringing. No. Um. I mean, was there like care given around growing up by a co- you know with a couple of psychologists? Not really. Hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. You know, it was the seventies. Okay. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't describe them that way. Yeah. Okay. I love them. Yeah. Good. Well, <laughs> they made me. I'm happy because they made me. Yeah. I I find that like as I get older, I uh like I had problems with my parents and the, and I talk about them still on stage, and uh, you know they're both still alive. But you, at some point, you have to see what's good about you and and see if it came from them and give them a little credit. Oh, I give them all the credit. Wow. All the credit. Yeah. I definitely don't give them all the credit. I, I think I have to give myself some credit for, for somehow uh, you know pulling together a sense of self. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> give myself... Her. Well, they give you the raw material. I mean, they give yeah. you the, the ingredients. Yeah, and then right? they just cut you loose and then kick you around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go to Michigan... Well, you try stand up, you decide that's not your thing. So where do the chops come from? I mean, where do you, do you, what do you get a degree in? Uh, history, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a history major. Um, I mean, I left Michigan. I really found myself in Madison, which was my next stop after that. Madison, to for Wisconsin. graduate school? No, uh, well, not graduate school for me. Yeah. Graduate school for my then uh, girlfriend. Okay. Um, I was, uh, my girlfriend after college, yeah. uh, who I met at Michigan, um, went to the University of Wisconsin. And you followed her? To, yeah, she was getting a degree in uh, medieval English. Oh, good. And I had my my history degree and- Sat around reading Chaucer in together? And, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, female medieval mystics. Yeah, yeah, and the, the Green Knight. Uh, a lot of Green Knight. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, yeah, we went, uh, I, off I went to Madison with her because mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything better to do. Yeah. And then Madison turned out to be the perfect place for for me. To Good find, town. To, I love it. I loved Madison. And it was like perfect because it was a mid, it was a medium sized city. Yep. So it was big enough that there was, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. I, I was sort of a typical, you know, liberal arts major yep. with creative leanings. Yeah. And, I, and I wanted to maybe write, so yeah. I'm not sure what I want to do, but Madison was a town where I was able to try things. Yeah. So um, it's, like I said, it's a big enough town where there is a newspaper, right. there is a public radio station. Yeah. There's, um, it's, uh, it's definitely hip, man. You know, and it's, it's. It's progressive and it's and it's uh, happening. It was yeah. the greatest. So yeah. I, I would walk into. So I just wanted to try stuff. So yeah. I was in a city of two hundred thousand people, where I could walk into the 
uh, Wisconsin State Journal, which is the big state paper, and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm new in town. Can yeah. I write an article for you? Uh, you can't do that at the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to to their credit, they let me try, you know, doing, so I just started doing little entertainment yeah. pieces for the State Journal, and I was volunteering for um, Michael Feldman's, uh, do you know Michael Feldman? He did, uh-uh. He's an NPR guy. Yeah. He does a show out of Madison. Yeah. I was just doing stuff, yeah. trying things, yeah. 21 years right. old. And one of the things I tried was The Onion, which was there at the time. Um, With at, Todd? Was Todd in yeah, control? Yeah, Todd, Todd was there. Not in control. Yeah. Um, uh, but he was, yeah, he was, he was Todd yeah. already at that point. Todd Hanson, yeah. Um, so I went uh, and I just started writing for the Onion as uh, as a hobby, yeah. just more for fun. Right. I didn't think it was going to lead anywhere. Yeah. Um, I did that kind of trajectory of hobby to job to career. Yeah. You know, you start yeah. you start with something that just turns you on. And but it, it sort of got it hit all your buttons, right? Brought back the comedy I, bug and Yeah, it was it was incredible because I got to make jokes yeah. and um you know follow uh you know EB e. White's elements of style and, <laughs> yeah. and AP format and, uh-huh. and I had like I, I really took pleasure in exercising both of those chops because I really it was you know, it was like being at a newspaper. It was yeah. more like being at an. It was probably more like being in a newspaper, just as a, you know, from day to day there, than it was um, being at a you know at in a, a comedy writing room in the writing room yeah. at Letterman or something, right? Because we were you know deciding what was going to be the lead story and assigning you know assigning stories, yeah. and and I was choosing photos. You know, the experience was... A newspaper experience. Almost. Yeah, I was yeah. an editor. Yeah. I was approving things and, you know, so that was, rewriting. But, but you were just writing at first. How'd you become editor? Um, I became editor because, well, the old editor left. What was uh, his name? Uh, be, the editor right before me was Ben Carlin. He's the one who went to The Daily Show, right? He was, yeah, he was the producer of The Daily Show for, for many was years. Was he the original editor of The Onion? No, it was the original. I mean, it's hard to, there was, really the original guy was yeah. Scott Dickers. Right. That's who most people, but he wasn't like the editor in chief. Yeah, I, I remember that when I talked the, to Todd, you know, he had just kind of wandered in somehow. Todd was yeah. Todd was washing dishes, yeah. and and he he worked for a medical answering service. It wasn't really like the Lampoon, right? Um, where you had all these ambitious East Coast, you know, prep right. prep school people yeah, who came yeah. in with the intention of parlaying it into a career in comedy. It yeah. really was kind of more like a band. It was like a bunch of fuck ups. Who, yeah. Um, so that's kind of why it was easy for me to rise through the ranks there. I, yeah. di- I didn't come in with... Because you, you took it seriously? I didn't come in with... Disciplined? No, yeah, I was sort of... <laughs> well, it was a bunch of... And again, I'm generalizing, yeah. but um, it was all um, Midwestern, you know, Christian. Yeah. Midwestern, Christian, slacker, college. Yeah. You know, it was the 90s. Yeah. It was like guys who right, listened, sure. listened to pavement and walked. Hanging around, smoking weed. Yeah, smoking weed. Drinking. Or wearing flannel, debating, yeah. uh, you know, the merits of uh, Beck's Odelay yeah. or whatever yeah. they were doing. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, not people who were particularly ambitious or great with deadlines. But the, funny. Oh, I mean, the most talented, thrillingly funny. I felt like I had somehow stumbled upon the <laughs> seven most brilliant. No, I, th- I thought, oh, my God, yeah. this is like must how it felt when, um, you know, Michael O'Donohue and the Lampoon right. and that that whole crew or yeah. you know, the, you know, Second City crew. Yeah. I, felt, I really felt like I was in the company of, of geniuses, yeah. which, which I really, I, th- I still to this day think I was. But I was the only, I was sort of an East Coast Jew. Yeah. 
amongst yeah midwestern christian slackers and it was re- no one it was just sort of like you want to be editor sure nobody <laughs> nobody else wanted there wasn't a power struggle it was too much work there was no power st- when, right. when ben left yeah. and there was a vacuum at yeah. the top yeah there was no it was like <laughs> everyone just kind of shrugged and looked to me and was like <laughs> i was i think i was assistant editor at the time making 75 dollars a week um, a little, a little better with deadlines than the other people. Right, and so that, that like, made me the obvious right. choice. You want to do it? That was it. Yeah, yeah. Don't, I don't want to do it. You yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, off we went, and and it was the same. Um, you know, there's obviously been turnover since then, but when I was there, it was the same. Like I said, it was like a band. It was the yeah. same. To me, there was like that was the classic lineup. You know, was there? there any, is there any original members there? Um, the only still there today. Yeah. No, the only one left is the guy who is now the who's been the editor in chief for many years, Chad Knackers, uh-huh. who when I was there was the assistant photo editor. Oh yeah, yeah, he worked under Mike Lowe in the photo department. But you were there when it moved, right? I mean, you I, were there yeah. when it, it blew up. Yeah. How yeah. did that happen when it moved to New York? Because I remember when that happened because it was sort of like they were everywhere, all over the place. Yeah, you know, we it were... seemed like around that post nine eleven episode was. Yeah, that... that was our first New York. That was the first issue of the Onion to be published in New York. Uh, we moved We moved in uh, early 2001. Uh-huh. I mean, really for no other reason than we were all kind of tired of getting lunch at Radical Rye on yeah. State Street. Yeah. We were just really, after me personally, after eight years- Small town. In Madison, yeah. I was like getting sick of the sandwiches. Yeah. Did everyone move? Uh, yeah. The whole, and it was like, it was like Muppets take Manhattan. We yeah. all got, got in our <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, bus yeah. and yeah. off we go to the big city. Yeah. It was it was just a big adventure. We were all, you know, we all, you know, we all hunkered down in our- Park Slope uh, at the time, you know, yeah. if you didn't have a lot of money, you went yeah. to Park Slope. Right. Um, so we all got our Brooklyn. I actually was in Manhattan, but every, I think everyone else was in um, Brooklyn. Yeah. And we lived, the, you know, we like, and when we first got there, we were on the cover of the style section of the New York Times, and we were sort of the toast of the town a little bit. Yeah, and, you took over. Yeah. There was all those onion boxes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Who bankrolled you? Um, the guy who owned it, his name was David Schaefer. He was like a hedge fund. Oh, okay. Like a big Lebowski. Did he buy it? He always fund. owned it or he bought it and he that's bought why he it, moved? He bought it a while. No, that wasn't why we moved. Yeah. As I, um, he bought it a few years before we moved. Okay. And then, no, we just wanted to change the scenery, yeah. really. And we wanted to get bigger. Yeah. I definitely had ambitions for the thing. I yeah. wanted to be in every- And you're the editor at this point. And you yeah, moved to I was, New York. Yeah, I was the editor from- I was officially, I think I was the editor, 96, I was the editor from 96 to 2003. Did 9-11 happen before or after you got there? Um, Before, well, I got, we got there in January of 2001. Okay, so then it happened. 9-11, I believe, occurred in September September. of 2001. That's right. Right. Um, That was dry humor. I got it. Um, So... uh, we yeah so we were in town like setting up for a bunch of months. I don't remember how long. But I figure yeah. we were like yeah. settling in for six months, still yeah. putting out the publication. Yeah, and then it hit the streets, and then we were all ready to go with uh, with our first issue in New York, which was going to hit the streets in September. Yeah. Um, no, it was going to be like the week before September 11th. Okay. Um, and then September 11th occurred and we didn't publish for a week yeah 
and then we all it was weekly though right yeah yeah it was a weekly publication what was i can't i'm trying to remember that famous headline of the post 9-11 you know which uh what were some of the stories i mean the kind of the, the little it wasn't a headline but there was a holy fucking shit it right. was like the um there was what was the lead? Well, I mean, so because like was, immediately it was like, is anyone going to be able to be funny ever again? Yeah, yeah. We were like approached for everything. Every Time Magazine, and yeah. Newsweek did a think piece on, you know, is irony, it was, is irony dead? Yeah, and yeah. Can we ever laugh again? Right, right. And of course, we gave the quote of like, you know, it's, of course we're going to laugh again yeah, and we right. need humor as a way. <laughs> I thought it was really obvious that humor is a way of. Through. A it's way a way of through coping with, yeah. of processing terrible yeah. things and 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 you know pain and sure. all that um this was before the daily show yeah so i guess the idea of news funny jokes in reaction yeah. Yeah. jokes in in regular reaction to the news was not like quite, outside of monologue quite as obvious a right. thing as it is now Mono- yeah and and the daily show and and um you know letterman they yeah. all letterman and snl had shut down for sure longer than we did yeah um and we were sort of hailed as the first people back longer than a week i mean you we, did it you put it we, out like a week later yes yeah, yeah. exactly seven days later we put out our first issue what was the reaction you remember um we, i still have like a stack of we were nervous but we got a stack of incredibly you know thank you really moving beautiful yeah, so yeah. this is the first i mean exactly what we'd hoped for which right. is that this was you know the first time i've laughed yeah, it's that laughter that's yeah, know, that, it's that cathartic laughter through, sure. through tears, thing, yeah. which is so beautiful and and it felt really really good. Were you paying attention to what the Onion was doing during COVID? I have I have not since I left. Yeah, I don't really look at the Onion. Yeah, because even to this day, if I do, it will. I just still want to edit. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I look at it occasionally, and yeah. I, and I it just I'll be like that headline is three words too long. Yeah, there's an the, it lacks the the pre, yeah. the precision and economy <laughs> of where it's you know I yeah. there's yeah. a haiku yeah. yeah 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 that you know um, so no I still it's I think it's I'm still too close to it to look at it but I love it and proud of it and yeah so you left in 2002 I left 2003 and and what why. Uh, just because after nine years of repetitive motion, yeah. mental repetitive motion, like um, seeing the seeing the world in headline form, right? I just it was just starting to make me crazy. Yeah. I wanted to kind of use a different part of my brain. And what'd you start with? Um, well, before I left the Onion, I was maybe a year before I left the Onion, I was starting to get a little itchy to try something new. Yeah. And we were approached to write an Onion movie. Mm. By David Zucker of, yeah. of Airplane sure. fame. Yeah, um, he he grew up in Wisconsin, and I think he sort of saw us. He he took a liking to us as I guess I can only presume the heirs to some sort of Wisconsin comedy tradition. Sure. Um, so he approached us about doing an Onion movie, which, yeah. which didn't go well, and it went straight to video and all that. But it but it was a it was my first time writing a screenplay. Right. Um, Todd and I were the co were. Co, you know the whole staff wrote it, but we you in touch with him. Uh, I haven't spoken to him in a while. Hmm. No, um, I wonder I how should. he's doing. Um, all right, so but that seemed like a, a long time the release of the movie, and uh, from because so, if if it's correct, the movie came out much later than when you finished it. Yeah, it knocked around for um, two or three years. It kind of languished in development hell, and eventually trickled out to uh, oh, okay, you know. 
cutout bins. It was not a smash hit. So uh, what was you, what were you doing? So, so I just loved. Well, I I wrote. I just loved. It was the first time I ever wrote in um, Final Draft. Okay, right. Um, just in screenplay format. Sure. Um, and it was just exciting. And yeah. It felt like a exciting new thing to try. Um, and I just started writing screenplays while I was still at the Onion. I started dabbling with screenplays. In, what was your first in one? In my spare time. Um, I wrote, I don't remember, I sort of blocked out the specifics of, I wrote, they were all comedies. Yeah. I'll say that. I mean, um, they were sort of broad comedies. I did that classic thing where you write what you think is going to sell, yeah. what seems to be in vogue. Right. I also just assumed because I was a comedy writer, I needed to write comedies. So this was during the sort of heyday of... Like Ben Stiller, Will Ferrell, like old sure. school. I think old school. Oh was, right, right, right. So like, you're trying to do that. So you knock yeah. out. You do a few scripts. You got an I agent. Do, you're trying to sell them. Yeah, I had an agent just through. I think I already had an my agent because of the Onion. Yeah. Um, and he was just kind of taking a chance on me as I moved into this new thing. Sure. So I I wrote a I wrote a series of uh, comedy, like pure comedy. Yeah. And they were. They were all just media. They were probably the kinds of things that pass through the desk of low-level Hollywood script readers all day long. Right, that were not particularly didn't have a particular voice. A lot of jokes. Yeah, just yeah. an att- just. I mean, an attempt to write yeah. old school. Sure. <laughs> um, and which had some funny moments, some great no. Will Ferrell moments. Yeah, yeah. No, I have not, no nothing against that movie, yeah. but you just that's just not the right no, approach. No, no, no. It's, it's not a. To, you don't want it's to. It's a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. It's not the right. I was just discovering the powers of self-expression yeah, and sure. writing what you, you know, getting through that mistake of writing what you think will sell right. and what you think. So I was sort of writing down, and I and I also made that mistake of I think a lot of screenwriters when they start out think um, the dumber and the worse the thing you're aiming for, yeah. the easier it is to yeah, do. Right. Um, one of the first, like, really eye-opening breakthrough moments I had with screen screenwriting yeah. was I've only once been invited to a punch-up session, right. which is where they, they just call, you know, once a script has already been written, they have a bunch of, right. they bring in a bunch of writers to just add for jokes. For what movie? It was for a date movie. Yeah. Which was one of those? Do you remember those like spoof, like scary movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it a was it a, a Wayne's Brothers thing? No, it wasn't. It was these two. I forgot their names. Did it, was it made? Yeah, yeah, date uh, movie, date movie. Oh okay. yeah, it was a hit. Okay, like Miramax. I think it was Miramax. Uh-huh. Or, would crank them out. Yeah, they were, they were like cheap to make and they yeah. made a lot of money. So you're working for Miramax, kind of. They hired you. They no, I was just in? my agent was just like, you want to get a thousand dollars to <laughs> to go to the Beverly Hills? Yeah, I, I was. You know, the the Four Seasons. Did they flew you out. No, I happened to be out here. That's oh, wow. why. That's the only reason I was invited. Huh. Was I happened to be out here? And my agent was like, "Hey, while you're in town, there's a there's a punch up session for a date movie at the Four Seasons." How'd that blow your mind? Um, what to get? No, I mean like what what? Oh, it blew my mind. It blew my mind because I thought it would be a bunch of people sitting around very cynically, like like everyone around the table would would know that what they were doing was shit. <laughs> Yeah. And instead, what I found was they were all really into, and I was I was coming at it as like Mr. Onion comedy snob, yeah, yeah. you know, like oh, uh, yeah, you know, I know what I'm ant- doing. Yeah, meta comedy and anti comedy. Right. Sure. Michael O'Donoghue. Yeah. And here, here, this is the crassest, lowest form of comedy. And what I learned was that they all were really, really. I was the only one at the table. I think I was probably kind of a standoffish dick. Yeah. Um, I'm sure nobody probably even noticed me, but I I was like, oh, they love this. 
Like they really love this. And, um, and for me, that was kind of really eye-opening. Like, oh, you have to, even if, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. I just thought, like when you write shitty Sure. Or I forget. You're just bitter and you're just doing it for money and you hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're hate they're hate writing. Yeah. They're hate joking. And they weren't. They loved it. They all were really, really psyched. And I was like, oh, okay. So I have to it the lesson was, right? Like just even when you're doing that kind of comedy, it's always done with with love and, yeah. and sincerity. So I I just almost as an experiment, I stopped. I said, Okay, let me stop writing these comedies that have, you know, somewhere in there there's yeah. like cynicism in my there's like it's not written with love or sincerity right so just, why do it certainly if it's not working yeah. you're not enjoying yeah, it sure. somewhere so i wrote um so i just took a look i i, I walked over to my um my dvd collection uh-huh. in my apartment yeah this was the heyday of dvds yeah um you know and it's my dvd collection is you know, Midnight Cowboy oh, yeah. and Fat City and Saturday Night Fever and yeah. tax, uh, you know, Taxi Driver and, and Mean Streets and, um, yeah. you know, it's like Scorsese and Hal Ashby. You know, I'm like yeah. a 70s, 70s anti-hero, yeah, gritty. Hope of Greenwich Village. Yeah. That's my shit. Like yeah. that's just what I love. Jolly. Is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they took my thumbs. Um, so that's what turns me on. So I was like, let me try writing. I know this is not commercial. This is not going to sell yeah. for a million dollars, but let's just try writing one of those movies. And what I wrote was what later, which turned out to be Big Fan, which was Patton Oswalt yeah. as the sports fan. It's yeah. great. Which, thank you. So it didn't, what that did was it was the first thing I wrote that was, and it was the first, it was the best screenplay I wrote. It was the most. You think it was the best screenplay? Well, at you that wrote, time, back? Yeah. Well, at that oh, time, oh, okay. yeah, it yeah. was like worlds. It was a compl- It was not even. It was an actual screenplay with. I love the. It was the, original. Yeah, the the turn at the end was great. Thank you. Thank I you. mean, like, because I didn't know it. Yeah, so like, and I watched it, and you know, and you know, he's a peer of mine, so I didn't want him to be good, but he was great. It's, and Rappaport, I love. But the, he's but, amazing. But uh, he is. But the turn at the end was great. But why that subject matter? What was it that um, compelled you? Because I grew up listening to. So it's about a. Um, um, for the ninety nine percent of your audience who don't know the movie, it's a it's a it's about this obsessive New York Giants fan who is beaten up by his favorite player. Yeah. And, like, and, like, and the crisis of conscience. That, yeah. that creates in him. <laughs> yeah. It's like a dark character study. Sure. Um, like those movies you looked like up to. Like those movies yeah. I love. Yeah. So what I did was I kind of took. The movies I loved, and they f- and I fused it with this other thing that I love, which is sports. Yeah. And I'd never seen a movie about a sports fan before, and I grew up, um, the, I guess if it's personal at all, it's because I grew up listening to sports radio. Yeah. Um, WFAN in New York. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up on Long Island, that was the first sports radio station, and it started in, I think, probably 1987. Uh-huh. So I was in high school, and that was the first- And you love sports. I loved sports and yeah. it was, there was, you have to, this was a time before sports radio existed. So the idea of like hearing people rant about sports. Yeah. Collins, callers. Callers yeah. ranting about sports was, it didn't exist prior yeah. to WFAN. Right, right. Um, and it didn't exist on TV. Right. So, um, so I'm lying there. I would listen to it every night uh, in my, <laughs> yeah. in my, you know, suburban Long Island bedroom with uh-huh. the light, with the lights out. Yeah. I, I would be tired every day going to school because I would turn on my radio. I'd, you know, I'd go to bed at 11 o'clock yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. I'd turn on WFAN yeah. and I would just stay up for hours listening to these 
voices. Um, <laughs> Aggravated voices. Calling. And they were people who were kind of reminded me of Ratso Rizzo. Sure. And uh, Travis. And Travis Bickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Johnny, you know, Johnny Boy. Uh, Fully from, obsessed. They were they were like psychopaths, but they were also they also all shared with those movies. They were like outer borough New York weirdos, uh-huh. which I don't know if that's a genre, but like you know, Tony Manero, yeah, Ratso Rizzo, yeah. Uh, yeah. Johnny Boy, yeah. uh, Popa Grunge. They're all like weird. I love I love movies about um, you know out, I love any I love outsider characters. I identify with outsiders, yeah. but I particularly there's something about people just staring across, you know, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn the, Bridge, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking at the Manhattan skyline that's yeah. so close yet completely out of their reach. Right. Um, it just hits me. It just hits me like nothing else. So for me, listening to these callers, you know, um, you know, Joey from Kew Gardens yeah. and Ray, and and you get to, and it's very intimate. You get to know them. And you yeah, know, regular, they call every yeah, yeah, all the time. And you start to and you you form these relationships with them. And, and it's and for a Long Island suburban Jew, like you don't ever meet people from Maspeth, Queens. Yeah. So like just hearing these people from so close to where I grew up, but like completely from a different universe, you know, these working class blue collar guys yeah. with these crazy, right. you know, each with these accents, yeah. like, yeah. you know, because the New York accents. Right. Um, yeah. It's, there's nothing like it. That There's there's something comforting and, and terrifying about it. I wanted, I wanted to know what... I was fascinated by them. Yeah. I just wanted to write. I just wanted to write movies about them. Yeah. I didn't think of it in those terms at the time, but, but yeah, because and I, I did. So that's what I wound up doing: was writing a movie about one of those guys. It's it's because Patton's not essentially that guy, but uh, you know, in terms of like, I didn't get he, the feeling like he was some sort of Queens character. No, he does well. You know, we we played with a Queens accent, yeah. and it didn't work. So okay. I just we let him do him. Yeah, I just yeah. thought, okay, let's let's just. Sure. Um, better no accent than a bad accent. And then, then Rappaport, he he'll do it. He tw- does it twofold. So he, you know, he'll cover well, for it. Yeah. Except he's doing a New York accent. Right. When I, when I watch that, when I rewatch that, and yeah. be, beat myself up. Uh, you know, it's not a Philly accent he's doing. Oh, but that's yeah. just that's just the perfectionist. In that's me. right. It's good. It was good. No complaints. Yeah. No. So I, so I wrote that, um, and then that. Kind of kicked around. That became my calling card for like getting jobs. How, how'd that happen? So it, it, it went around to directors. Um, it went around. Well, you to write actors. it, you submit it to your agents, and, right. then, and then it just floats around. Yeah, um, it floats around Hollywood, and people right. read it, and they yeah. and they like it, and they you know it gets you meetings, and it gets you sp- right. It gets me like low level rewrite work yeah. at first. It got my. It was a foot in the door. Yeah, to like prof- to my first professional writing gigs, which were kind of low level rewrite jobs. Um, but then at the same time, that script is also making the rounds yeah. to directors. So yeah. it eventually reached Darren Aronofsky, who, who... Was he in New York? He was in New York, right? Yeah, he yeah. was in New York at the time. And he he really loved it and yeah. was interested in... He was interested in directing it. Yeah. Um, and he was going to... Um, the problem we kept running into was um, was the NFL issue because it was... It's it's their real teams. Yeah. I didn't want to do the most sports movies. Purely then, you know, like any given Sunday, it's the Miami Sharks, mm. you know, versus the Baltimore Dragons. Or and they whatever. put a billion dollars into that movie. It it for me as a sports fan, it yeah. ruins the movie. Yeah. I can't get past that it's the Miami Sharks and sure. not the Miami Dolphins because it's so much a part of the culture of. 
So I was like, I'm not doing this. If it's weird, isn't it? Because like, I remember North Dallas 40, but like I don't think they ever mentioned the team, did they? North Dallas 40 was supposed. I mean, it was supposed to be the, the Cowboys, Cowboys, of course. But but, it, but they're called North. What? Why would you have a team called North Dallas? It was a fake team. Well, I get it. I guess because I'm not a huge sports fan, it, it was so clearly was, the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, but for me, that's enough. That oh, wrecks it. the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially if it's a movie about like where you're really in embedded in the culture. I mean, yeah. I mean, the New York Giants are part of New York culture. Sure, sure. So the New York Wizards to yeah, me, no. would, I can't, I wouldn't do it. That was like a, a deal breaker. So yeah. I was like, I'd rather not make this movie than yeah. make a movie about the New York Wizards. Yeah. So um, eventually, you know, enough people passed on it that. Um, Everybody passed on it because they all have, like Fox Searchlight wanted to make it with Darren, but Fox has a billion dollar contract with the NFL that they don't want to jeopardize yeah, over for your some little movie. stupid fucking yeah. you know, million dollar Searchlight right. movie. Yeah. So a bunch, it kicked around to a bunch of directors. I took meetings, but it was it was apparent that it was never going to get made. Yeah. And I just reached a point where I didn't even have any um, real dreams of becoming a director but i just wanted the movie to exist yeah i was like i don't want all the effort i put into this movie yeah and i felt like at the time it was the best thing i'd written and i just wanted it to exist and it didn't so happen I just made it then it happened later yeah no it kicked around for five six years and then i was just like fuck it i'm doing it myself but that was after you and, met aronofsky it, who how yeah, that happen? years later he approached me because i think he just got a hold of that script somehow however one gets a hold of a yeah. script and he he said I wanted to he, I met with him about it that's how I came to write The Wrestler was years later so we didn't do Big Fan together but he wanted to do a movie set in the world of wrestling yeah and I guess um, he's like huh you know um, a gritty gritty character yeah gritty character study set in the in the world set in the world of the sort of underbelly of sports sure that's uh, what know, he wanted to do. He wanted to do that. So he's like, oh, what about that guy who wrote that yeah. big fan Were you a wrestling fan? Yeah. Uh, not obsessive, but I was a, I'm was a child of the you know, yeah. 80s. I, yeah. I would go to Nassau Coliseum and see Hulk Hogan and, sure. and the rest of the gang. Who was your favorite wrestler? Um, I liked Coco Beware because yeah. he, he had a parrot. Jake the Snake, everybody sure. loved. Um, Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Yeah. I just loved, I don't know, it's, it's, I didn't have a, I wouldn't say I was, I wasn't such a fan that I had like posters on my walls, but right. I just, I loved the spectacle of it. And it's really just fun to do the, well, you know, you know, it's all kind of a put on, but I, it's, sure. it's fun to scream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, but when you're conceiving that character, who were you thinking about? Um, definitely, uh, I would say probably uh, Terry Funk, uh -huh. who's, it was pieces, it was kind of a, um, it was kind of a composite of yeah. a few guys you know there's the masochism of like a terry funk and then yeah. there was um uh also mankind yeah. uh who else was jake the snake because he yeah. was this um really tragic i mean a lot of them are really tragic figures but jake the snake was this got addicted to crack um yeah i would go to these events did you watch see, the the matt movie barry's movie before uh, beyond the Matt? yeah yeah yeah. yeah, that was a huge influence on it. Yeah. Um, that's definitely kind of the direct connection. Direct connection. But to I would, and then I started to go to these events, which were signing events. No, they were yeah. wrestling wrestling shows yeah. all around the New York. I mean, they have them all over the country. But like, I would go. It's the secret world. I love secret worlds. I love yeah. sub subcultures. Yeah. Um, that's usually what turns me on when yeah. I, in deciding what to write about is yeah. like a world, not a story. Right. So um, 
I didn't even really know it was going on right under my nose, but like on any given weekend yeah. in, in the New York area, there's a Knights of Columbus Hall in Queens and a church basement in Passaic, New Jersey. Yeah. And they would have these wrestling cards and the cards would always be a mix of, um, um, you know, guys on their way up who want to be wrestlers, but probably don't have the chops and yeah. never will make it. Um, and then the guys on the way down. And the, they would usually, to get a crowd to show up, they would hire one of these... Beat up guys. One of these old beat yeah. up guys that like really just needed needed a $300 yeah. payday. So I would see like, um, you know, George the Animal Steel. I saw Ter uh, Tito Santana. Yeah. All these guys who I saw, you know, 15 years earlier, I saw at Nassau Coliseum, yeah, yeah. you know, on the card with Hulk Hogan. And now they're playing, you know, the Passaic VFW wow. Hall. Um, for probably two hundred bucks, and they can't, and 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 they can't, most of them they can't move. So they would a lot of times they would put them. It's kind of how Steven Seagal movies are made now. You <laughs> you run into his fist. Yeah. You know what I mean? He yeah, doesn't yeah. move much. Yeah. Um, so you know Tito Santana with his taped up knees would be standing in the middle of the ring like a, you know, like a horse they're yeah. about to put down. Yeah. And guys would run into him. And just bounce, you know. So it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's so, so heartbreaking. And there's so much, you know, it's path there's pathos and it's just fucked up. And it's funny. To me, it's, f you know, I don't mean to say that like no, it's, callously, it, but there's. Well, yeah, but because the put on has, has, is still in place, but it's completely broken down. Yeah. There's a dark. Yeah strange perversity to the whole thing that just appeals to the comedy i'm attracted to things that are because they're volunteering to do it whether yeah. it's desperation or not that's they're, what they're holding on to and they're happy to and, and on some level and there is a and while it's also pathetic yeah there's a real beauty and dignity to it because they are um they're getting the same thrill because you can see yeah it's a funny thing like the, th the cheers of a crowd, whether it's Madison Square Garden or whether it's um, the Passaic VFW Hall. Yeah. And whether it's 20,000 people or 75, you know. People. Drunk assholes. Yeah. When you uh, get a crowd excited, it's that, it's that same rush. Yeah. So you could see why these guys are still, aside from needing the money, there's... There's some element of it that they're still yeah. addicted to. Yeah. It, it still feeds, it makes them feel good. It feeds their ego and it makes them, it gives, it makes them feel like they're making people happy. Well, I mean, the, the script was kind of amazing, you know, from, in terms of your, your empathy and your understanding of that guy. I have tremendous empathy for those guys. Well, you can I, feel it in the wrestler. And, and I think Aronofsky handled it very well. He did incredible. Yeah. I mean, they're, and they're, they're artists and they sacrifice. I mean, that's a big theme of Aronofsky's, obviously, and I could see why it appealed to him. You know, th these yeah. are guys who, you know, sacrifice their bodies yeah. for their art. Yeah. I mean, there's a Christ, you know. Yeah. I, I always slip in a little Christ sure. <laughs> thematics into things. Well, these are guys who are dying for our pleasure, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. How engaged in the process were you when he started directing? Then I was mostly just like a happy... Oh, yeah. visitor to set and then it was that was my first movie that got made that that got made before big fan right so big fan was still kind of languishing but it, it did very and, well the rest were yeah yeah no it did great it won the venice it was thrilling it won the venice film festival and big time um and you know mickey 
Mickey got his uh, yeah. Mickey and Marissa both got Academy Award nominations. It was, yeah, and it was a thrill ride. It was like a dream first. That's amazing. Yeah, and that that opened the door for you to be able to direct Big Fan. It didn't even open the door. I just did it. Oh, yeah. um, I I did it because I paid for it with my own money. That right. Was, oh, okay. It, so so you just chose. You just. I said, was just I'm like that was just getting my wife's permission. Sure. Uh, to spend bl- the money or blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Like hey, we have. I took the money. I um. I took the money I made selling my onion shares. Um, I had owned a 5% stake in the onion yeah. and I sold it and I took that money and I um I made big fan with it. And that and how was that received? Pretty well. Yeah, I mean it got into, you know, it was in competition sure. at Sundance yeah. and it, I mean it had a it's had a very slow burn right. of a le- it's still um it it got distribution. I mean, it, sure. It, it I mean, got I distribution. It. it was yeah. fine. I got my. I made my money back, okay. and people. Some people have heard of it, and what more could I? You know, some well, people, it's what more could I ask for? That's right. And but I mean, I, I you wrote the founder too, which I like that movie a lot. I Thank like you. that script. I mean, it, but it seems like you know, uh, you know, let, heading towards Welcome to Chippendales. You know, through the wrestler, big fan, the founder, Pam and Tommy. Like there's a world that you seem to occupy in the American landscape that seems to be fascinating to you. There's a similarity between those things. Um, I hope so. Some people think that when they talk about what I not that I like American pop. I like things that are really poppy that deal with. I know it sounds kind of vague, but I like things that are about America. Um, But it's interesting that these things, right? Like like wrestling, sports fanaticism, fast food. Yeah, I like uh, junk. I like pop culture. Porn and hair metal. Yeah, I love that shit. I love yeah. fun. I love fun, trashy. Dark fun. Yeah, I like I like things that are about music or sports. Well, how the founder come? Or to be? you know, hair metal. Because um, that's sort the of the founder, outlier. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's like you know, McDonald's is a major, major sure. part of America. Yeah. Um, How did you get that project? Was that something you chose? Uh, I was you a, just... no, I was approached to write that. Oh, okay. Um, and I read Ray Kroc's yeah. autobiography, and it, you know, that checked my, that kind of scratched my Citizen Kane, yeah. you know, big, yeah. um, big, uh, controversial, polarizing. I like, I like unlikable protagonists, yeah. which is why I've eventually kind of migrated to television, where it's less of an issue. Yeah, um, right. Because you have yeah, many episodes I, too. I, <laughs> I like things that are, I mean, fun. Yeah, that have that appear to be. Where the, the the entertainment is on the top, there's yeah. a, and then there's there's vegetables, you know, there's substance underneath it. Where substance and darkness and you weirdness. can choose to just enjoy sure. it for just the fun of it and the entertainment value, but there's also like themes. Well, you can, but like even with the Welcome to Chippendales, like you can choose that, but you know you're going to have to reckon with those characters at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And they're dark. Uh, and the same with Pam and Tommy. Yeah, I like I like dark. Um, yeah. Unlikable people that you know that we understand. I don't. I don't. That whole thing about likability, your character has to be likable. I think is. Yeah, I don't know it's, what that is. It's becoming an outdated notion, thank sure. God. Um, but for a long time, it was really like gospel, and in, in certainly in in film. Do you think it's something historic and, with you, or just as an aesthetic decision? But, Do you think it's some you're you're kind of like uh, reliving your relationship with your father over and over? Well, again? I definitely. I mean, everything I write. Is about him mm. or, or reckoning with him, and it's all about masculinity and what, mm. it, what it means to be a man, which is why, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, 
I don't remember what movie it was, but my sister went to one of yeah. my premieres and she's like, that was dad. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't think about it. Right, right. You shouldn't, you shouldn't ever think, I try not to ever think about what something's about. Sure, I sure. can't tell you no, yeah. what anything's about. Yeah. Um, but it's all my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Reckoning. Yeah. Just the things, the, you know, the fucked up messages our parents give us and, yeah. and the things they don't teach us. Um, I got my, the, I got most of my like parenting from my, my two heroes are, are Bruce Springsteen and Howard Stern. Yeah. Like those are my guys. Those are your dads? Those are my dads. Yeah. I mean, my dad was my dad and, yeah. you know, yeah. but those are my guys, you know, the dark and the light. Yeah. For me, Howard and Bruce were, you know, Bruce, I really listened to his songs when I play. Yeah. I, I sound like such a fucking middle-aged man, but. Well, you definitely sound like you're from Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just listened to his songs and I, they kind of taught me how to. Yeah. How to be a man and how to live the right way. And I wanted to be a good person. So did he. Yeah. yeah. And he struggled. I didn't even know. I thought he was just kind of preaching to, I didn't know he was struggling with all that, that stuff. That book is crazy. Oh, when I interviewed him, it was crazy. I mean, it, it, that book is great. His, uh, yeah. Because you wouldn't, he didn't assume it. How would you know that? I it seems so obvious now in yeah, retrospect. Exactly. That's true. It I'm like, does. How could I not think this guy was tortured and hard on himself, right, and, and depressed? Yeah, hey, I know. Because um, he's got that thing he does, like, "Hey, everybody, I'm here." You know. Yeah. Here. No, he's become yeah. like uh, Mount Rushmore, uh-huh. just almost not a person, but a right. And you listen to Howard all your life. Yeah, I listen to Howard every day. Yeah. Obsessively. Um, Growing up. To the exclusion. Um, yeah, growing up, yeah. and then really—I mean, it's just only gotten yeah, yeah, yeah. deeper and deeper. It, it's have it's, you been on? No, I, I wouldn't qualify. I mean, hopefully, something. I mean, maybe this will be a yeah. stepping stone to yeah. that. But he—I mean, he interviews fucking. I know. Well, you do too. I have no idea why I'm on this show, but um, I thank interview, you. I interview, thank I, you, by the way. Yeah, I have a lot of range. You know, love, Howard's like a celebrity guy. I did Howard once, but he's been talking about me lately. Oh, uh, he has. Yeah. I'm trying to think of he, about my uh, my role in Two Leslie. He he said something. Oh like right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah he and loves Two Leslie. His friend. Uh, yeah. Um, and then he talked about my Gallagher episode. I think yesterday he brought it up. Oh shit! Yeah. I haven't listened to yesterday's yeah. yet. I'm catching. I'm behind this week. But uh, okay, so that so you are resolving these issues. But now <laughs> the the Chippendale thing. Like you know, I've known Kumail a long time, and he's really acting the fuck out of this thing. He's doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, it was great. Have you seen any of it? I, so I watched four. Four of I'm them. I'm four in. Okay. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. Okay. Uh, because like, uh, there, I can give you reasons why I think it's great. Well, I mean, you found this is all you, right? You just you it, you came up with this idea yeah. for this. Um. No, yes and no. I mean, I I tried to write a version of I wrote a Chippendales. It's not worth going into the de- the long version of this but i wrote a chippendales movie years ago that i tried about to get, him about steve yeah, what's his name steve Banerjee, who yeah. i tried to get kumail for i was originally hired to write it for a bollywood actor named amir khan yeah um and that never got made um is steve then, still alive no okay as you'll well okay yeah, watch, yeah. i'm watch sorry I, I don't I, I mean i had no idea that dorothy stratton and paul was, yeah what's his name? paul snyder were, were star 80 it's like um it almost, happened they were involved. It's like the extended Marvel universe. Yeah, they, it is. They, the uh, yeah, Paul Snyder of the yeah. Star Eighty, Eric Roberts played. Um, who they, who killed Dorothy Stratton and then himself? They were they were in the scene 
Yeah, we, uh, in the we, early days of Chippendales, and we, she was the one who came up with the cuffs and collars idea. And that's all documented. Yeah, 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 it's real. It's crazy, man. That time. It's a crazy true story. It's unbelievable. Well, it's, but to ride that line that you're riding, that you'd like to ride, where you know this is like it's dark stuff, man. Hollywood was is always got that dark stuff, but that you know that little chapter of those two is horrendous. Yeah, and somehow or another, in in light. Uh, you know, the way it's played in the film, because you actually get attached to those two characters in the first two episodes, mm-hmm. but you know what's going to happen to them anyways. But, you know, it's how it's balanced through Kumail's journey where it doesn't, you know, kind of, you know, take the pull the plug on the thing. No, no, it's, it's, uh, there are many dark chapters yeah. along the way and they were kind of the first. Yeah. You could see them as sort of a, a bet, just an, a, an omen. And he's not a particularly likable guy. Steve, uh, yeah, um, no, but but he's interesting, and he's no, no, he's yeah. got all the stuff I would want. Well, yeah, it's all very uplifting because you have that music of the I, time in the eighties, and then you have these women who are great, and these dancers who are who are. It, it's all very, and I like all the fucking. I like that you everyone's have fucking. You have everyone's cocaine, fucking everyone. Yeah, we've seen that before. Songs, mullets. Sure. Yeah, it's got. But but there's something. I mean, you're really letting them fuck in this movie, um, in this uh, miniseries, which is good. Do I? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there was some serious fucking uh, male gay sex, which you don't see yeah. that much. Uh, you know, yeah. and there's some serious, you know, just in the dressing room, the green. I like it. There's just people fucking everywhere. Casually fucking exactly. in a way, I With think. other people in the room. Yeah, which they did back sure. then. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But but I'm not saying that he's an unlikable guy. You yeah. know, the immigrant story, you know, in, in terms of their expectations of themselves and what they're up against, you know, uh, generationally, I think is, is handled very well. And, you know, his sense of what the American dream is and the fact that, you know, he and Paul Snyder shared this obsession with, with Hugh Hefner. Yes. Uh, was kind of, uh, synchronistic and interesting. Steve's two, Steve's twin heroes were Hugh Hefner and Walt Disney to him. He, he grew up in India and he, um, came to America in the late 60s. And to him, Hugh Hefner and Walt Disney were, were the epitome of American success. Yeah. Um, we didn't really delve into the Disney side of it, um, partially for reasons of lawyers. But, uh, sure. Um, but Hugh was, he to him was sort of, you know, and I, by Hugh I mean like the Hugh of the 60s Playboy Club with the, yeah. you know, yeah, right. swanky. Classic Hugh, yeah. You know, with the hi-fi stereo. and, and Well, it would also be like hanging the early out with Dick 70s. Gregory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was his, that was his dream was, you know, his assimilate, his assimilation dream was to, um, you know, I think when he first came to America, yeah. he came up with Chippendales seven or eight years at, almost 10 years into his time in America is when he came up with Chippendales. And those years are kind of where he went, took, took the detour because when he first came to America, I think if you would ask Steve when he first landed in America, what is your ultimate fantasy yeah. of American success? He'd say, I own, I would own a dozen gas stations. Right. You know? Um, and, but he had this 10 year period of soaking up American pop culture. Right. You know, and watching, he was one of these guys that learned to speak English watching TV. Right. You know, so he's watching, he's sitting there alone in his little Marina Del Rey apartment watching The Love Boat um, and the ad, and, and the ads for, yeah. you know, Asti Spumanti, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and it, it changed him and it changed his definition of success from just being rich yeah. to being something more classy. 
You yeah, know, it's a little yeah, like yeah. it's a little or I that idea of classy. Like Trump, you know, yeah. doesn't just want to be rich. He yeah. wants to hang out. He wants to be invited to the good parties. Yeah, and hang out with Tom Brady. You know, like like um, Steve definitely wanted to be in the in crowd, and right. the in crowd is white, and he's not white, and he'll never be. You know. Yeah. So he came here, I think, with um, this feeling like in America, because in in India they have this very strict class system. Yep. So. Um, I think when he came here, he thought, well, in America, it's, you know, you can be anything in America. And, and he started to find that he was, he could not escape his skin, his skin color. Yeah. And then he started, one of the fascinating things about him that we deal with in later episodes is he starts discriminating. He starts, he becomes, um, racist himself and he, oh, he doesn't that. let black people, oh, was that, yeah, yeah, that was in your episode. What was it? I saw the Otis leaving it. He he creates these VIP cards. Yeah. The real Steve right. created VIP cards to keep as a means of keeping out um, undesirables, uh-huh. aka non-whites. Uh huh. Huh. And so he's well, fascinating. I, well, I'm going to have to see how that plays out. But but in terms of it, it seems to encapsulate all the things that you're interested in. And he's a, and, and Kumail's doing such a fucking great job. He's incredible. Yeah. I love I love working with stand-up comedians. Um, um, you know, I worked with Patton and yeah. I'm working with Kumail. Yeah. They have such such stuff to tap into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I'm sure he's, he's got things within that character to tap into. Oh, he'll, yeah, yeah, as he will discuss at length on his press tour this week. I mean, yeah. things that, I mean, Kumail is... You know, I've heard him talk about it. I mean, Kamel definitely relates to aspects of the character. Yeah. You know, he came to America. I think Kamel came here when he was like, he came here for college. He went yeah. to Grinnell yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. So he's this kid from Karachi, yeah. Pakistan, yeah. dropped in the middle of Iowa yeah. on this, you know, bucolic little yeah. campus with kids, you know. Yeah. It's all like that story That's of people crazy. who come here to do this thing. And you, I it's mean, fat. and you seem to be, again, pretty fascinated with this particular version of the American dream. Which, uh, which version is it? Well, you know, this like, like, you know, trashy pop culture version. I just think it's fun. I yeah. don't know. I love their, ha- anything I write has to be, my favorite shit is, you know, tragedy. I like tragic, sure. com- tragedy and comedy. Absolutely. You know, I started, um, I started the, on- the onion was comedy tinged with tragedy. Sure. And now I'm kind of trending toward tragedy tinged with comedy yeah. maybe but it's all the same it's sure. just a question of ratio yeah but it's all tragedy and comedy which to me yeah. is what life is so for me you know my favorite shit is just i sound like a total you know fan uh, 70s fanboy yeah cliche but i just love that raging bull yeah oh, it's best. um i think yeah i can feel nights the... goodfellas stuff i just love you know dark things that are yeah well, you definitely funny. that you definitely you were able. I think this guy was a good guy to run all that stuff through. Yeah, yeah. That's you know? usually what I. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my selection process for a for a job. Is like, can I can I go really dark with this character, and can I have a lot of fun with this character? So it's a, an eight That's episode it. miniseries. Yeah, um, Chip and Nails is a yeah. It's a limited series, eight yeah. episodes on on Hulu. Yeah. Um, well, I I'm not, I now I need to know what happens. But uh, I'll find. I'll watch them. You can, could either. I'm gonna watch them, or just look on Wikipedia. No, I don't want to do that. You could get what the whole real story. <laughs> no, the tr- the true story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that? But how long were you kind of fascinated with that guy? 
Um, since I heard, I mean, I didn't know any, I didn't yeah. know anything about the, the, cause like when I saw it, I'm like, well, that's an interesting angle. Why hasn't anyone else done this? I mean, cause I'd forgotten about Chippendales, but it was huge. Yeah, it was huge. And it's, it seems like one of those true stories that like, why didn't they make a movie about this 15 years ago? And it's basically cause they were trying to. I was trying to, or, or else they didn't think that a lead was, who was Indian. That was the other thing is the world came yeah. around to when I first, I mean, this was only 10 years ago when yeah. I was trying to get this thing made. Um, that was a real, uh, what's now an asset, you know, diverse yeah. um, di- storytelling. Yeah. That was a real problem when I, when I was trying to make the movie first time around it was like, no kidding. Like who the hell wants to see a movie about, yeah. you know? Um, an Indian guy. There's just not enough of an audience for that, and now yeah. every I mean the the everybody's kind of falling over each other to find yeah. stories. Sure. Of you know that broaden In- representation. Yes. Inclusive. So, so we are I think a beneficiary of that certainly. Absolutely. And then you've and got you, you've got the uh, you, you know the middle aged Juliet Lewis Juliet Lewising in in the best way. She's the greatest. The best. It's a great cast. It's yeah, yeah Juliet Lewis, uh, Annalee Ashford. I don't know. If, do you know Annalee Ashford? I, I recognize. I don't know what from, but she she's doing. She was in Impeachment. She was Paula Jones in Impeachment. She's an amazing. She's mostly a Broadway. She's oh, she, a Broadway animal. She's uh, Kumail's she plays, wife. Yeah, she plays Kumail's wife, and she's incredible. Paul Snyder was good because I think you had to sort of somehow rein him in from too much Eric Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to kind of escape the shadow of the, right. The, it kind of is. And then um, Murray Bartlett from White Lotus is is uh, plays kind of. Oh, he's oh, is he British? He's Australian. Australian, that's right. He's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's like doing that Nick, that the Nick Denoya he guy. He plays the uh, the choreographer. And yeah, producer who's and, the. Um, Still at that antagonist. Guy. But I think everybody's so ja- you know he plays a guy who's like clearly on coke a lot very well. Murray, Murray yeah. has yeah, he's got good coke energy. Yeah. I, don't, I think he's a pretty clean liver. I don't know. If no, no, I know, but like because like that character was starting to grate on me, but then he realized like that's fucking blow and yeah. anger. Blow and anger is a and, good, and yeah. you know you know sort of nebulous sexuality. Yeah, yeah, that produces a certain twitchiness. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great at that. So I I loved them all. It was a great experience. So. Well, good job, man. Yeah. yeah, nice talking to you. Is it over? Kinda. How long was that? Hour ten. Whoa. Flew by. Good. That was fun. Thank you. This is really special for me. I appreciate it. It feels like, um, you know, I've listened to this show for for so long and it I, f- it make, I feel like I made it. You did. Well, you, I really I, do. well, I'm glad to talk to you, man. You, yeah. you, did, uh, you do good work. Thank you. That was a good talk. I enjoyed that. Welcome to Chippendales premieres tomorrow, November 22nd on Hulu. With new episodes Tuesdays. So, uh, okay, hang out a second, will you? My archive recommendation today, I'm going with episode 837 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Why that one specifically? Because in addition to talking with Kareem, I also had a return talk with the therapist Phil Stutz. My full talk with Phil was from episode 454, and that's available only for WTF Plus subscribers. But the one from episode 837 is free in all podcast feeds. And if you're planning to watch the new documentary on Netflix called Stutz, you should get yourself up to speed on him because he's definitely a character. These books for me, you know, I read them, I get a little bit out of them and then like I don't finish them. And then I get, I feel like I get, a, you know, I read a, a halfway through it and I've I got enough. I think, I, you know what I mean? How much of this do I need? I get the idea and I move on. 
Yeah, and you have your own TV show now, right? I do. So what else could you possibly need? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, Doc, because, uh, you, you know, I, what I, I learned is that years ago I always thought, like, well, if money doesn't make you happy, I'd like to figure that. I'd like to find that out firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, now that I've earned, I earn a pretty good living, yeah. it's, it's definitely changed some fears, yeah. you know, and some insecurities that it put, put those to rest. But the fundamental stuff... It doesn't change that much. No, in fact, that's actually the premise of what we do. In other words, and I, we have some credibility because we treat all these people that are very successful yeah. as stars or whatever. And there's what we call a realm of illusion, which is somebody tells himself, if I only get this, my own show, if I only get that, yeah. a certain female he wants to marry, whatever right. it is, that then life will become easy. Yeah. And what ha obviously that never happens. Never, no, never. No. In, in all your experience, no one ever came in and said, "Hey, you know what? I'm done. I got what I wanted. Thank you." No, no one's ever said that. <laughs> if they do, I, if it was true, I would try to talk them out of it. It's bad cash flow for us, <laughs> so we don't really want it anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, that, that's why a lot of guys will become famous they'll blow up suddenly yeah. and then they get into drugs and alcohol sometimes they even kill themselves it's like i did my share i did what i was supposed to do which is become famous become yeah. you know very successful and life still has the same problems what the fuck you know right. i'm being jumped Some, sometimes more problems yeah, sometimes, or certainly problems you didn't have before yeah like you know what to do with all that money and then how to manage all the shit you bought with it yeah, that, yeah, that's uh, that's really overwhelming. So go listen to that for free right now, episode 837, where you can also hear my talk with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If you want the full Phil Stutz episode, plus ad-free access to every single episode of WTF, sign up for WTF Plus by going to the link in the episode description or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF Plus. My tour dates are winding down, people. Only three more left this year. My shows at the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina are sold out. Still some tickets for the show in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm at the James K. Polk Center on Saturday, December 3rd. And my HBO taping is at Town Hall in New York City on Thursday, December 8th. There are still tickets for the second show. Go to WTFpod.com tour for all dates and ticket info. Here's some guitar from back in the day. Um. 